The following is a conversation with Julian Robinson. Julian Robinson is the Shadow Minister for Finance and a member of the Jamaican Parliament. Before entering representational politics, Julian began his career as a management consultant in London, working for international firms like IBM, where he was responsible for developing and implementing digital business strategies. I think that one of the pillars for economic growth in the Caribbean is a solid digital infrastructure and digital literacy programs that ensure that future generations are equipped with the necessary skills to compete in a global economy. In my opinion, the only way to get to that goal is through the collaboration of the public and private sector and a regulatory framework that enables healthy competition and the free flow of money, goods and ideas. This is the Simon Küpper podcast and this is my conversation with Julian Robinson. Why did you switch from the corporate career or background into into politics? Was politics? there a specific reason? I think, I mean, I always had an interest. I always had a passion for service. I got involved in student government while I was at the university. And I always felt that this was my calling to be involved in serving others. And so, you know, even when I was away working, I knew I wanted to come back home and I did. And, you know, I was always drawn to this type of activity. You know, at some point you recognize what you have a passion for and you want to pursue that passion. And that's really why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know. Yeah, that's true. So, um, and I think a lot of your work in the past, and um, I think also today touches technology or yeah, digital transformation. So before we dive into that, um, how would you explain or maybe define digital transformation? Because I think it's a kind of maybe overused buzzword, I don't know, sure. but um, people use it uh, yeah, very loosely. So how would you explain sure. it? Um, yes, I think it is overused and I think particularly coming out of the pandemic, it's um, a term that everybody now positions as where we need to go yeah. um, because you're moving from doing things physically, the pandemic has forced people to move online. And so in a sense, you know, businesses, individuals have had to adapt. I mean, for me, it is about how do you, as a business, how do you ensure that your processes are moved online so that you can continue to do the same things that you did in the physical world without having a physical world. So it, it does mean um, ensuring that your business processes can be adapted online, your logistics, particularly if you're in, involved in the delivery of physical goods or services, um, that those things can be done online. And it, what, what we've seen in Jamaica is that People have been forced to, I mean, I would say prior to a year ago, March last year, I probably just fleetingly heard about Zoom, right? <laughs> but, yeah, true. but now true. we have multiple Zoom calls every day. You know, yeah, my yeah. six-year-old son has been in online school for a year, you know, online using Zoom. Mm -hmm. true. Banks have had to push more of their processes online. Um, because of the restrictions of physical gathering. So to other businesses, delivery businesses have sprung up because persons can't eat out in the way that they used to do. So I think what it is, it's how do businesses adapt to this environment by 
building processes that allow people to continue to consume their goods or services online. <clears throat> For me, I think the big challenge in Jamaica is really the digital divide. There are persons who, like I would say myself, the adjustment hasn't been huge for me because I was always online. I, I do most of my financial transactions online. Um, I rarely go into a branch unless I'm forced to do so. <laughs> so <laughs> the adjustment yeah. wasn't, wasn't hard for me. And I think the younger generation who are more easily adapted to the embracing the technology, it wasn't a big deal. But then you have a larger cross-section of people who are not used to doing things online. I mean, if I use my father as an example, you know, he, mm -hmm. he does nothing online. He doesn't do banking or any of these things online because he's just from a generation that never got into it. So the question is, how do you bring those persons along with you? And what we're seeing is government has been forced in particular in delivering assistance to the most needy to do it electronically. But it has meant that a lot of those who are in need, who can't, you know, don't have a, a computer, a laptop to log on, to put in their details, to access services, some of them are getting left behind. I mean, just yesterday in parliament, the minister announced an incentive for persons who are fully vaccinated. They're gonna get 10,000 Jamaican dollars to try and incentivize more people to be, anybody over 60, sorry, over mm -hmm, 60. Mm -hmm which because the over 60s are the most vulnerable part of your population, but equally those are the persons who are least likely to be able to go online, complete mm. an application form, um, right. receive right. The, the funds. So for me, what, what, what I consider to be the big challenge is that you're gonna have a, a set of people who are gonna be left behind and somehow both between the public and the private sector, we have to find a way to bridge that gap. So for persons who don't have access readily, meaning they don't have, you know, um, internet connectivity unlimited, they have to be purchasing it on a daily basis. How do you ensure that those persons can continue to consume, you know, government services and other things online, mm -hmm. particularly for people from a poorer background who simply don't have either devices or access? how do you ensure that they can continue to have access? So for me, I think it, it has presented an opportunity um, and people have a cross section of persons have fully adapted, but there are many more who I believe are being left behind. Yeah, I think you touched, or my question would be, um, what do you see the areas um, that have have been affected the most over the last let's say 12 months because i think one area or the two you already uh, mentioned is education and uh, finance and, and banking and payments and everything around that um as same as the the infrastructure itself because as you said um, if people don't have let's say just an internet connection in some rural areas um, of the caribbean in general or maybe in Jamaica specifically. Um, so where do you see um, the main bottlenecks that maybe prevent uh, to, yeah, to, that people get yeah, access sure. um, there right now? Um, and, or maybe are there other areas where you see oh, there needs to be change? 
I, I think the, the, the big one is governments have to ensure that they provide universal access, particularly in education. Uh, that, that is the area that I would say Jamaica, and sorry, not just Jamaica, but all countries have probably suffered the most in, which is that you have a huge digital divide in education. Um, you have kids like mine who he has a computer, he has unlimited internet access, but then you go to other schools where probably 20% of the kids can get online. And so many of them have missed an entire year of education because mm -hmm. they either don't have a device or they don't have unlimited internet to stay on a Zoom call for six hours a day doing class, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's, there has to be an imperative on the part of government to ensure for those who are in need that we can provide access by ensuring that you have in communities free Wi-Fi hotspots mm -hmm. so that persons can go to a community center, they can bring their tablet or their phone and they can log on and they can be able to access school as an example. But it, it also presents a big opportunity because what, what the pandemic has shown is that you can stay in one country and effectively work with people in another because people have been yeah. working remotely yeah. for the last 12 to 15 months in, in ways that hitherto were unknown. You know, people felt if you had a business meeting, you had to jump on a plane and go and meet uh, somebody to do a deal. People are doing it online. So it also opens up opportunities, I believe, for Jamaicans to participate in the broader global environment mm -hmm. and to take advantage of work opportunities. But again, you have to ensure that access to the internet is at a competitive price that everybody, not everybody, but those who want it can afford it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the distribution is still heavily in the urban centers and many of the rural areas are still way mm -hmm. behind mm -hmm. in terms of connectivity and the speed of connectivity. And so there has to be some kind of balance, which I think government has the principal role to play in ensuring that those who are least served can have access. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I, I think, you know, universal service funds, which most governments in the Caribbean, including Jamaica have, have to be deployed to, to, to bridge that gap. So I'm not an engineer, um, so I think, but when we look at the infrastructure, and as you said, I think the, the challenge here is to get access to everybody, or let's say 90, 95% um, of, the, of the population to, to get, um, yeah, to get internet access to these, um, to the people. But when we look at the Caribbean, it's just a big challenge with a lot of islands and uh, just a technical challenge. So do you think that the private sector, the, the government, or maybe a company like Starlink uh, uh, from, from Elon Musk that just rolls out global internet on a, yeah, on a global scale um, will be a solution or a mixture out of that? Or what would be your, yeah, you were, you were looking forward how we can ensure that over, I don't know, the last five or whatever time frame we, we want to look at, uh, five years, whatever, um, we can ensure that yeah, basically everybody in the Caribbean has access to a high-speed internet connection and can participate, as you said, from the global economy and actually has access to the opportunities that you have with the global, yeah, global economy. Well, 
I, I don't expect governments to undertake that kind of investment. Um, but what, what governments have to do is create the regulatory environment and the policy environment to encourage private investment. Um, you know, in Jamaica, about 20 years ago, we liberalized our telecom sector, which ended the monopoly that cable and wireless had, and it brought in new entrants into the market. We now have two main players. Um, the government has issued a license for a third player, and I understand that a license for a fourth player is going to be issued very soon. Mm -hmm. that, that is what I believe government has to do. You have to ensure that your, your spectrum pricing is attractive enough that investors will want to invest in, in purchasing spectrum so they can offer these services and that you maintain a, a competitive environment. Um, you know, we have two dominant players now. I believe there is room in the market for competition because as I said, there are still underserved areas and there are many people who are unhappy with the quality of the current service that's <laughs> being provided, right? Yeah, um, true, true. Drop calls, um, you know, I, my, personally, you know, I've, had, I've had to complain to the provider at my host that, you know, I'm on a Zoom call and it drops two or three mm -hmm. times, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, government's role here is not to fund it themselves. Government can fund um, like free Wi-Fi hotspots in what I would call depressed communities. But what government has to do here is create an environment which allows the private sector to invest to make a return. And um, we've seen some signs of it, but I think it needs to happen in a more aggressive way right now. How would you do that? How would you like incentivize um, yeah, well, investors, again, sure. foreign countries? Because I think, as you said, there is a kind of barrier to the entry to the market in Jamaica, because as you said, we basically have two, um, yeah, two operators there that um, share the market, I think almost even geographically. Um, so how, what would you tell a company from outside is, hey, invest in Jamaica for- Absolutely, for I would. because equally, you could say 20 years ago when um, we liberalized the market, there was only, there was a monopoly. Mm -hmm. And at the time people would have said, well, people are not going to leave cable and wireless and go to somebody else. Well, they did. And that led to the formation of Digicel, first in Jamaica, then the rest of the Caribbean and all over the world. Um, yes, the market may seem impregnable, but I don't think it is because one, the cost of um, high-speed internet is still relatively expensive. And as I said, there, there are so many complaints that um, people have about the quality of the service. So you have to look at what spectrum do you have that is available how are you going to price it so that it obviously has to be internationally competitively priced because mm -hmm. an investor has options between Jamaica and other countries in the Caribbean and anywhere in the world. And any investor wants to make a return on his or her investment. So you have to price it attractively and then you have to go out internationally and you know put out an RFP for anybody to, who wants to participate. So to me, you have to be very proactive about it. Um, and government can't rest and say, okay, we have two, two players who control the market and that's good enough. I believe a, a player that offers attractively priced data, and it's obviously going to be a data player. Everything has moved from voice to data. Um, and voice is now predominantly being used over data. Yeah, right? true. But, um, so, you have a segment of the market that I believe would move for 
good quality at better prices. And I think the experience we saw 20 years ago when digital came into the market that shook up the mobile market. Again, I believe the data market needs a shaking up right now. Mm -hmm. So what would you say would be a competitive uh, price in Jamaica from you as a consumer standpoint? Because I think, um, again, I think the, the solution that Elon Musk is going to offer is something like you buy the, the basic starter kit, meaning the hardware, which is a satellite thing. And then you pay, I think, 100 US dollar per month for, for a high-speed um, internet connection, which from my point of view is kind of on the yeah, higher end uh, of, of the pricing when we look at the Caribbean market, but what would be your range that, or your that, dream that, situation? That would be on the higher end of the market. But again, you know, it depends on what speed and the, what, what you're going to be guaranteed in terms of quality. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you for, for us in Jamaica, you'll have to price it um, lower than that. But frankly, you know, it depends on the market you're targeting. Businesses pay a lot more than that um, for internet services at, at businesses. Homes, that would be on the higher end of a home. But I would pay it if I'm guaranteed a certain speed. I mean, I'm paying now for 100 megabits. I don't know if I get 100 megabits. But, you know, if I can be guaranteed <laughs> that I'm not going to be knocked off my Zoom calls. And if when my wife has a meeting and if my son is doing his school, we can all coexist and we all have high quality internet yeah i would pay for it because frankly this mode even if we get over covid there's still going to be an element of of using the technology to um to operate on a daily basis but i think you'd have to come in a, um, at a lower price point in jamaica if you want to pull people away from the the two main competitors true so what would be a, or do we have a, a time frame or a time horizon where you say, okay, in the next one, two, three, four, five years, uh, Jamaica has to yeah, do something about that? Or Well, or... In, in fairness, I mean, they, something has started. The government announced a couple of weeks ago that they have issued a third license. And mm -hmm. my information, although this is not confirmed in the public domain, I understand um, there's a fourth player to also enter the market. So, you know, strides are being made and uh, in, in a positive way in that regard. So I think, you know, when a new entrant comes in, the person has to invest a lot in infrastructure or have right. some infrastructure sharing arrangement with the existing ones. So I don't know if you're going to see, you know, uh, an offer on the table right now, mm -hmm. you know, because it takes probably, I don't know, maybe a year to build out until you can start to offer unless you're going to share infrastructure so so i think strides are being made and i think it just has to be pursued in in a more aggressive way yeah definitely agree so besides the infrastructure and i think yeah we both agree here that um yeah progress is being made uh, it would be appreciated by everybody if it would be a little faster i think but besides that um how important is education but not just general education but more in a way of like yeah call it digital skills or or having yeah. the yeah the, the knowledge um actually to yeah to be competitive in that um in that environment um i know that you have your or uh, yeah work with the startup jamaica as an incubator maybe you can 
talk a little bit about that, what you're doing there, but what is your point of view, what needs to be done in the Caribbean in sure. general, but in Jamaica to make sure that the, the generation that we have right now and the next generations have the, the skill set that they need to be actually, because on the one hand, I think what uh, you're absolutely right about is that it gives you a lot of um, options now for everybody. But on the other hand, it also gives a lot of competition because now you compete Correct. also with everybody. With, with everybody else. Exactly. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've been pretty consistent on the need for a national digital literacy program in, in the very same way that when you start in school, you're learned the basic things about mathematics or English. Um, I believe that has to be introduced from the, the level of schools because the reality is that the world that my son is growing up in is totally different from the one that I grew up in. And frankly, you know, he has, because he has been on Zoom for the last year, his exposure is very high and he probably knows more. He has, he has had more Zoom time than me, right? Because yeah. on average, he's spending six hours a day on Zoom. So he knows how yeah. to do everything on Zoom. So almost by default, he has had that exposure. Um, and he, he can navigate at six around the computer in a way that, I mean, I didn't until probably I was in my 20s, but it was just a different generation. But what I think we have to do is ensure that everybody has that exposure and that, you know, the generation coming up understands how to use the technology in a way which is not just about social media, which everybody's on, but it is what can I do that allows me to make money to offer a good or a service online, not just in Jamaica or the Caribbean, but globally, which really was the thinking behind Startup Jamaica. And it, it, Startup Jamaica is no longer operational. We started it when we were in government in 2015, I believe, 2014, 2015. And it really was meant as an incubator for tech entrepreneurs. You know, Jamaica, I would regard as one of the most entrepreneurial people. And we had a lot of young entrepreneurs, but they didn't, they didn't have a support ecosystem. They mm -hmm. didn't know where to go to get funding. They didn't have a physical space that they could operate out of where they could sit down and share ideas. So Startup Jamaica provided that. It was um, part of an ecosystem. It was a physical space. We provided mentorship, guidance, support, um, linked um, entrepreneurs to investors. Um, unfortunately, when the government changed, the new government had different ideas about how it wanted to approach it. So they discontinued the program, which I felt was very unfortunate. And so we don't have any um, type of program like that. And I believe it is still very much needed and even more so in the environment that we're in now. So really for me, what I want Jamaica to evolve to is not just being consumers of technology. You know, we, we, we have the latest gadgets, we have the devices, but we want to build solutions to, to problems which exist. We want to be the developers that are creating um, applications that can be used across the world. Mm -hmm. And so that we can become the producers and, and earn foreign exchange from these services. That's really the vision we had. Um, with Start of Jamaica, and it's still a very relevant vision, given where Jamaica is right now. Absolutely agree. Um, and my question would then be, or I would also, when I say agree, I mean, um, I agree that there needs to be the 
ecosystem or the support or the infrastructure for um yeah let's say startups or entrepreneurs or tech companies in general to be able to grow because um most of these companies at especially at the beginning require a lot of capital to actually yeah, get pulled off and then be competitive in the in the marketplace and when we look at the us uh, where we have big vc companies that put millions and then sometimes billions um, in these companies or at we look at when we look at china same there europe not so much yet but i think uh, europe is also catching up um, a little bit so the question often comes down um to money, to be to be frankly, to how attractive again um, is it to to maybe um, outside investors, and um, I think the Caribbean or yeah, the, maybe Jamaica too um, has probably maybe not the best reputation for international investors because you know, it's literally a term like having offshore bank accounts or something when you have something shady going on. So how do you make it? attractive and safe on the other hand or transparent or however you want to want to call it for investors or maybe not not investors maybe i'm, I'm looking to narrow out the narrow out the problem here but to create an, an ecosystem that um can support um yeah companies startups entrepreneurs um in jamaica or in the caribbean to to be able to build something in that field because you need the skills and i'm absolutely with you there that I think every country needs a, as you said, digital literacy program. But how do you also make sure, um, yeah, that the the support, the financial support in that case, um, is available for the companies or the individuals? Well, what what I would say, I think the there are barriers to more investment in this area. The, the the I would say one of the biggest ones is any investor who is looking to invest has to determine how does he exit. And you know, in the US, you exit through the stock market. Um, in the Caribbean, our stock markets, I would say, are outside the reach of a typical small entrepreneur. Meaning, that when you look at the companies that are, we have two markets we have a junior and we have a, a main. But the, the companies that are on the stock market tend to be well established companies versus an entrepreneur who starts a small business. So one, one deterrent is the issue of how do I get back my money through an exit? Although, frankly, you know, there are one investor can buy out another and those deals can be done privately. Oh, true. Yeah. The, the, the second issue um, is obviously how, how do I ensure I scale this business? Um, so, you know, the Jamaican and the Caribbean market is small in relative right. terms. If right. you take the English speaking Caribbean, you're talking about 10 million people. If you include Cuba and Haiti, then it's a bit more, but it's not English speaking, right? So in relative terms, you have to be thinking of a solution which is applicable outside of the region. So I'm not going, me being a VC investor in, in, in San Fran, um, Silicon Valley, I'm not going to invest in a Jamaican startup that is only looking at the Caribbean. Right, because right. I can't make a return on my investment, right? right. It's too small. So yeah. It's just too small. So you have to figure out what is it that I'm going to build, which is attractive enough that someone who's making the investment can see a return. So it, it requires a vision beyond the local geographic area and ensuring that whatever you're, the problem you're trying to solve 
which may exist in the Caribbean, may also exist somewhere else. It may not be the US, but it may be somewhere else in the world, which gives you access to a larger market. So I think that that is the, the, the second thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the third is obviously we're becoming more mature in terms of um, doing these types of arrangements, but we're still at the early stages. You know, the, the idea of people investing in companies is something which has evolved over the last five to 10 years. So it's not a mature, we're not a mature market from the perspective of, you know, people are used to, you know, putting a hundred thousand US in a company, that kind of thing. It's still growing. And, you know, it requires, it requires mentorship. It requires support. It requires, you know, saying to an investor, you have to formalize your business. You have to register it. You may have to register it in the US if you mm-hmm. want to be attractive mm-hmm. to US investors. As an example, you have to ensure that you you have proper accounts, you know, if you again, if you want external investors, because they want to ensure that the money is being managed properly. Right. So all of these things are relatively new things to uh, groups of entrepreneurs who may be very talented in terms of their knowledge of the solution they're building, but they're not necessarily business persons. So it's also about how do you ensure that, you know, the, the board of directors has the right mix of, of skills and expertise so that someone can succeed in a global environment. So what would you recommend to a Caribbean or Jamaican organization or company? Um, what would be a, a market or a focus or generally speaking a, a trend um, somebody should focus on? to be ensured, as you said, um, to reach that scalability. Sure. I mean, the first thing I would say is that um, whatever solution you're developing, it has to go beyond just the confines of a local market. Um, Because I I don't think the local market um, is large enough to sustain it. So identify a problem, determine where else that problem exists. It might be in the rest of the Caribbean. and you can, so for example, you have a guy, Gordon Swaby, who b- built a company called Edifocal, which allows students to do their CSEC and CAPE exams online. Mm-hmm. So he started it, it was Jamaican, but it's applicable in the English speaking Caribbean because we all do the same common exams um, under the CXE umbrella. That's an example of something that can be scaled. It can probably be used in other countries um, that use the same types of exams. Um, for, for students. So you have to figure out which spot in the market is attractive enough for you to build and grow the business beyond the shores of Jamaica. And obviously, I think, you know, as an investor, you have to determine, you need to know what your own strengths are. If you are the person who is the developer, um, you may not have the business and the marketing skills. So you have to then say, All right, you know, do I form a partnership with somebody who can bring this to the table? Do I give up some equity in the company to someone who will allow me to grow and scale? These are all things which through mentorship and guidance, I believe entrepreneurs can get to the stage where they can negotiate these things and um, build their businesses and grow. Is there any kind of hub or starting point or, or network that you would recommend or that you can recommend uh, to companies in, in Jamaica or in the Caribbean that focuses on that? There, I mean, there, there are some informal networks. You have 
a group of angel investors, first angels led by Sandra Glasgow, who was the original uh, manager at the Startup Jamaica program. And, and they, really it's a, you know, a group of high net worth individuals who look at startups and make a decision as to whether they invest in it. And they have built a community that provides support. Many of the, the investors are business leaders themselves. So they end up being sitting on boards, mentoring some of these young entrepreneurs as an example. The reality is that you need more of that. I mean, Sandra has done a good job of curating that and growing that, but you would need a couple more. One started in um, Montego Bay, um, along Alpha Investors, I think the name is. But you're gonna need, and you also need to me some support system. It doesn't have to be necessarily government funded, but I still believe the idea of an incubator where you share space, where people can bounce ideas off each other um, is a good one to, to nourish the ideas, share the ideas and allow mm -hmm. them to flourish mm -hmm. and grow. And so, you know, they, it doesn't have to be, as I said, government funded, but there's still a need for it. Yeah, true. Before we wrap this up, what would be, or what is in your eyes, a market or an industry or a trend that you see uh, when it comes to technology or digital transformation in the Caribbean for the next years? Um, uh, it, I mean, COVID has just disrupted everything. So, I mean, the, the idea, for example, you know, it, the government has launched a program called ENDS, which is, it allows mm -hmm. food service delivery companies to, to grow. And, right. and now there's right. a whole business around food delivery, which never existed before, you know, where, all of these food companies are, are having deliveries. That's, that's one aspect of something that will continue. I believe education and the people will choose more online options going forward than necessarily um, physical education at the tertiary level. Meaning, you know, if I can go online and do um, a number of courses or do a degree in a shorter period of time, uh, much less expensive, it is something that I would consider. So I think education and then um, financial services. Um, I think, you know, we have to, one of the issues we have in Jamaica is that so many Jamaicans are unbanked. They, they have no formal banking relationship. And again, it tends to be divided by, you know, the one, persons in the lower socioeconomic groupings um, are the ones who are, who are mostly unbanked. So there are still opportunities to bring those people into a network which um, gives them immediate access to, to cash mm -hmm. electronically mm -hmm. and opportunities for them to, to build businesses too. So, you know, for me, I think the big opportunity, which is the challenge lies in how do you deal with that digital divide? Because in Jamaica, there are as many people who are not connected as they are who are connected. And that represents an opportunity for a bigger market. But there are barriers and the barriers are that group in doesn't have the disposable income to, you know, have the computers, the tablets, etc., to have a hundred US dollar a month um, subscription or whatever the figure is, whether it's fifty or twenty-five. Um, so how do you bring them to the table? And that, to me, is a big opportunity and an opportunity that provides um, an It provides a way for a company to make money, you know. So those, those are things that I think um, um, represent um, opportunities going forward for businesses. 
do you know if there's any initiative or, or plans or incentive from the Jamaican government in that direction, meaning payment solutions, banking accounts, maybe with blockchain technology or something well, like uh, that? The, the Bank of Jamaica has um, signaled that it's going to introduce digital currency mm. and they have started the process of identifying a, um, a provider for that. Um, the government is also providing loans and grants to small businesses to digitize their businesses and you know we we overuse the term but by that my my interpretation is how do you ensure that your processes are adapted in a way that you can function in an online world so there, there are things that are being done um obviously more has to be done and more done quickly but i would say there are there are signs of of stuff that has started yeah absolutely agree so first of all thanks for your time but is there anything um, else that you want to add that you have to say? I, I think the, the, one of the big risks as well <laughs> relates to cybersecurity. And as yeah. obviously, as you move more things online, yeah. the yeah. cyber criminals see it as more of an opportunity. And we've seen globally some of the ransomware attacks that have taken place recently. And, you know, the, the, the challenge is, I think, the very smart um, IT professionals some we are going to be attracted to that side of the criminal business because people see it as an opportunity to make money because more and more people are going to be online. So it's just a caution. Right? You mm -hmm. can't get away mm -hmm. from it in the same way you drive on the road. You have to be careful. Once you're online, you have to be careful. And um, the risks are going to be greater, but the opportunities are there. So it's just a caution that we both businesses and individuals have to be conscious um, of what the risk are, do the basic things in terms of how you protect your identity, particularly financial transactions, ensuring that sites you do business with are certified and are reliable and have a track record, etc. So those are things that I think people just have to be aware of as they navigate this space. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Julian Robinson. I appreciate it and hope to see you next time.